Welcome to another edition of And Another Thing, the universally appealing podcast that is sweeping the globe. You know, coronavirus seems to be getting into every corner of our earth. Well, guess what? So is And Another Thing. Maybe we should rename it, Tony, to And Another Thing 19. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and uh, and twenty and twenty one. So there you go. And and in fact, I think uh, I've been looking at our numbers worldwide, Jody. And yes. uh, I, I believe that in Lesotho, in Southern Africa, we're we're trending up. So uh, there you go. <laughs> you mean you mean the podcast, not the virus, right? Uh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, the, the podcast. I, I should also throw out there because this is our show, there have been almost half a million recoveries from people that have listened to our show as well. So We're part of the solution. We are part of the solution. All right, so we are going to get right into it. Uh, we got a great guest today. I'm going to let uh, Tony introduce him. And then afterwards, I think uh, we've probably got a couple other topics that we'll uh, sew up ourselves. But uh, Tony, why don't you take it away? I'm excited for today's guest. Sure. Thank you, Jody. I'm very excited uh, to announce that And Another Thing podcast has as its guest today, Mr. Larry LeBlanc. Now, Larry LeBlanc is a, a real fixture in the Canadian music scene. He was a senior, he is a senior writer for the U.S. publication Celebrity Access. He's been uh, a writer for them since uh, 2009. Before that, he was the Canadian bureau chief for Billboard magazine. He did that for 16 years. And before that, he was the editor of Record World, which was one of uh, Billboard's co- competitors uh, in the in the 70s. And he has been on Q107, CBC Radio Morningside, Canada AM. He's pub- been published in Rolling Stone magazine, Guitar Player, Globe and Mail, McLean's. And he is the co-author of a uh, book called Music from Far and Wide, Celebrating 40 Years of Juno Awards. He's got many other accomplishments besides that, but let's welcome to the program Mr. Larry LeBlanc. Well, Larry, welcome. Well, I was impressed. <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't even know the half that stuff. It's embarrassing sometimes when you start going through the things and you, then you have to point out to people, well, you know, I have been doing this since 1964, 1965 as a, as a writer when I started at the Ajax Advertiser outside of uh, Toronto and went through all the regional stuff. But I was working for American magazines back then, like Hit Prater, Rolling Stone, Cream, Crawdaddy, yada, yada. It was an easier world back then. First off, you didn't get paid. I mean, it's much like today in some ways, but it's back then. Back, you to, really, back to the future. <laughs> you really didn't get paid. You know, you got, I remember I got 10 cents an inch uh, writing for the, the local uh, Ajax paper. And then um, the Toronto Telegram bought, bought out the uh, Ajax advertiser and John Bassett, Junior uh, put me in all their papers. They own something called Inland News. So here I am at 16. Uh, I was in like eight or nine, you know, uh, neighborhood, uh, you know, papers. And then he brought me to Toronto to the Toronto Telegram. They had a, a youth publication called After Four back in those days. And, you know, the big thrill then, back then, frankly, was being in high school and being able to walk through the hallways with the brand new Beto album that hadn't been released and sit there and go, oh, this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the new Beto album. It's coming out in three weeks. And back then, radio didn't care about the album. They only cared about the single. So the album was floating around, but nobody was jumping up and around about it. But if you could take it to high school, whoa. And then I was running high school dances 
at the same time where I booked, you know, like people like Little Caesar and the Consuls and Richie Knight and the Midnights and Bobby Chris and the Imperials, all, all those type of bands. Oh my gosh! What I, I, what, I haven't even got started yet. But I, I, before we 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 dial it dial it to some of the stuff that you've been doing in the past, I do want to get your take on how COVID is affecting the music industry and live music right now. Is there a future for us, or are, are well, we I don't think I don't think you're going to see live shows this year. There are talk, there are places like Colorado, for example, opening up in California uh, has basically said if you're a smaller venue or something like that, you might be open up. But I, I think, quite frankly, people are dreaming. And I'll tell you why. And I don't think you're going to see uh, anything uh, even in the first half of 2021. I think it's going to certainly in large scale until the vaccine, until the you know people are vaccined. Really? And yeah, I was talking. I'm, I'm on um, one of them. I'm doing a project right now with Sam Feldman, who manages Diana Crow and James Taylor and Diana, you know, and uh, Elvis Costello, and he's trying to rearrange. He had a whole tour of James Taylor set up because he had a new album out and they That's were ready right. to go, and they had they had to pull it back. And he's now had to rearrange it uh, twice. They're going to go, uh, you know, in the fall. That's forget that. And now they're going to go that. And if you think about it, I mean, here's here's the thing to think about, Tony. I mean, you think about going to the club. Okay, say they space it apart. Okay, that that's a reality. Okay, but here's the real reality. The real reality are seven or eight guys in a van. Okay, yeah, traveling around from place to place, looking for places that are open. Okay, uh, looking for places places and and, and, and and seven or eight guys in a van, I can tell you right now, and I've done it, they're not clean. I'll tell you that right now. There's going to be a virus that's going to, you know, hit. all you need is one person. Few germs in there. And, well, few germs in there, and you've got to stop at restaurants, you've got to stop at hotels and things like that. That's before you get to the venue. You get to the venue, okay, uh, the club, is it up to your standards, in terms of is everything in there clean for a group? Okay, mm-hmm. there's too many touch points. Okay, there's too many touch points. Um, people, even if you space chairs apart, you're still breathing all the same air in the same club. Uh, you know, you're, even if you do eight feet, ten feet in the club, it's it's different. You're touching things. You've got food problems. You've got server problems. How about if you want to go to the washroom? There's only one, you know, male washroom and one female washroom. That's it. So I can't see it opening. I know that City Winery, um, which is a chain in the States, Michael Dorf is a friend, and he's, he's been caught. He, he lost uh, his premises in New York last year, uh, so he was going to reopen a new place uh, on the City Wharf. Uh, uh, it was supposed to open right now, and he's put it mm-hmm. off, and he's talking about doing a combination of uh, small shows and, uh, you know, like maybe with one quarter seating and the rest of it viral, you know, on, mm-hmm. on the Internet and stuff like that. But so with high Yeah, but here's the problem. He's talking about the live shows would be, uh, you know, $800 a ticket. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I know. So you got two. And then, frankly, he's high-end wine, so you're dealing with very expensive wine. And you throw in there parking, you throw in, uh, you know, babysitter, you know, and you throw in, you know, say you're out with your wife, you're looking at a $2,200 night. I can't see it happening. No, no, no. I mean, it's so different. Uh, you know, Larry, I was uh, Ontario Health Minister during SARS in 2003. And remember, we, once we had defeated SARS, 
the celebration was SARS Fest, a five hundred thousand people at Downsview Park to hear I was the Stone, there. I was the there. Stones and ACDC yeah. and Justin Timberlake. Uh, can you imagine that now? <laughs> it, would, it would never. Uh, well, happen. you know, I, I, I've talked to somebody. I've talked to Sam Feldman again yesterday. You know, the, the manager for Dana Crawl and uh, Elvis and James, and I said, Sam, close your eyes. Can you imagine yourself at a festival? Can you imagine yourself at a large arena, like say Rogers or something like that? I said, you know, even when this is corrected, okay, let's l- let's say we come out of it, we get vaccined, okay. First off, we're coming out to an alien, you know, uh, 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 marketplace, okay. People aren't going to have the money; they're not going to be wanting to pay two hundred and twenty-five, two hundred and fifty dollars a ticket like they were paying before. Right. Um, they won't have the money, and that I said, I think I'm, I'm real serious about this. I think they're going to be gun shy about yeah. going out again for a while. I think there's going to be some of that. I think the other people are are quite willing to throw caution to the winds. But I think uh, younger people are, Tony. I yeah. think younger people. If you're 40 plus, no, no. Um, you know, I've even you know talked to people. You know, maybe we've seen the last concerts that we will see for our lifetime. Okay, and I'm talking about fifty plus. Uh, and I'm not saying that you can't and won't be able to go to them, but I think people might just go. Eh, I got uh, there's other forms of enter, you know, entertainment. Like you know, people moved away from buying CDs and music, not because of just, you know, downloading and prices and stuff like that. You and I have talked about this before, but because what happened was in between time, other alternatives, um, you know, came up, you know, mainly through the, you know, the internet and game and games in particular, games in particular is what knocked off music and not to mention Walmart and Costco bringing, uh, you know, uh, prices down below where the distributors couldn't make money. They wanted uh, CDs in the stores were under 10. They were using them as lost leaders. I'm not sure if something won't replace music, uh, uh, live music, okay, uh, uh, going forward. It may be live shows on, on the internet. We just saw, as you saw, the wonderful CTV uh, uh, broadcast thing that Randy Lennox and his team put together. Yeah, what did you think of that? I thought it was phenomenal. I, 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 I sat here. I never felt more proud to be a Canadian. I thought the blue blazing thing with bare naked ladies we just nailed it to the wall. Sir McLaughlin doing uh, Blackbird, May May, the Quebec star, who should be a bigger star than she is outside of Quebec. I just thought it was one after another. A lot of people criticize Drake for going on, but they, but they don't. You know, after the prime minister, they don't realize they didn't get Drake until. Um, Saturday morning, like at 4 a.m., or probably Sunday morning at 4 a.m. So, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, I've he, done, he booked oh, Bigfooted Justin. It was it was crazy. Well, the thing is, I have done these. Like, I also work for the National Music Center. I brought in all their artists, and I also did, as you know, the two box sets. Oh, what a feeling! You know, for charity. Um, artists have other priorities. Just because it's your priority, like putting on a TV show or something like that, doesn't necessarily mean it's their priority at their time. They have family. Uh, they have other things going on, and they also have their own charities. So putting that together, and I know that show was put together like over less than 10 days. Wow. Uh, incredible. And I mean, hey. It's absolutely incredible. And, you know, I just, I sat at it at the end of it. I, I had, you know, started watching going, Okay, I'm going to watch a little bit of this because I normally hate these the American show that they had done before. I didn't care for. What I liked about this show was we spotlighted 
um, the, the first responders. We spotlighted yes. the caregivers. That story of that wonderful woman up in London, Ontario, where the um, uh, she's a nurse and uh, the the. Uh, the the local guy who had vans and stuff like that gave her a, f- a free van and everything like that. I mean, I was I was I was crying. Same thing with the you know, the hundred year old man in there. I was I was in tears, and spotlighting not just the artists, but the first responders was the smartest thing they did. Well, that's the healing power of music. Uh, I I, I want to, if you don't mind, I'm going to pivot from that. And, sure. Uh, you know, I can I add uh, one point to that? Yeah, sure. Larry. That's one of the first times, or not first times, but that's another time Canada has been put together. And the other one that brought music together, and you'll remember this because you're going to know exactly where you were, the final Tragically Hip concert in Kingston. Absolutely, we were all together. We were, we were like it was like watching Canada Cup. <laughs> in, in, in municipal parks, they put up the big screen and oh yeah, you know hundreds of uh, locations, and we all watched it together. Absolutely, didn't, didn't you feel Canadian, Canadian? You know? Yeah, it was like it was like something special to Canada. Uh, Americans wouldn't get what we were doing. Uh, Brits, nobody. It was no. something that was special to Canada. Well, I, I, I totally disagree with that. you. Brits would have got it if they had done it with uh, you know, somebody like okay. George Michael or something like that. But you I'm know. talking about Gord Downey and Tragically Hip. It's, yeah. it's, it's I mean, that was like just that was Canadian crazy. poetry. Oh, I knew Gord really well, and I knew the group. I was in tears. Yeah, yeah, we all were. We all were. Hey, I wanted I want to, you to turn back though, because I want to give. Uh, some great. I know you've got some great stories. You've been part of the Canadian music scene for almost six decades. You've seen it grow. What What are the highlights for you? Uh, different things at different times, I guess. I mean, I can remember, for example, um, bare naked ladies having. Everybody knows they had a yellow cassette that you know sold seventy five thousand units. But I remember before that they had a red cassette when they were totally nothing. You know, I remember meeting also a very young Brian Guy Adams when he was part of Sweetie Todd. I know, <laughs> I know Brian's. Um, you know, he re- replaced Clark Perry and Sweetie Todd, who had replaced uh, Nick Gilder. You know, doing Roxy Roller. Um, that to me, you know, was. A highlight. I mean, I had different ones going growing up in Toronto. I mean, growing up in Toronto, I grew up in Pickering actually, but but, and, and, but before that, very young in Toronto, but mostly Pickering. But could there be a better place than growing up in Southern Ontario? Okay, and I'm going to throw that because Southern Ontario was going to the Pav and Aurelia. It was going to Sable Beach. It was going, by the way, to. Uh, um, Hidden Valley. Uh, I'm one of the few that remember Neil Diamond playing there. I saw. I saw the Yardbirds play there. So I Hidden saw, Valley is a is a ski resort in Muskoka. Yeah, northern, yeah, North yeah, Muskoka. Yeah, and they used and, to have a uh, on the, uh, the top floor there. They had a hole where you watched the action with Go Go Girls. Oh I, my gosh! I saw the Yardbirds there. I saw. Uh, young rascals there, and anyways, we, we we you know when I was in my uh, late teens, I would travel with different bands to all parts of Ontario. But you know, you know, we had in Toronto, we had uh, the Mariposa Folk Festival, uh, we had clubs like the Colonial, the Lecoq Door, uh, all those different things. I mean, I got to, I got to interview like Big Mama Thornton, who did the original Hound Dog. Uh, oh yeah, you know people like that. Ronnie Hawkins is my first interview at fifteen. He had a Go Go Girl on one leg, another one on the other leg outside the uh, lobby of Lecoq Door, and he was drinking Brandy Alexander's. I'm from working class. My dad drank beer, not Brandy Alexander's. I'm sitting there at 15 going, 
I think this is the business I want to be in. Did you know Neil Young in those days? I know Neil. I knew Neil in the Minor Birds. Actually, he was in a group with uh, Rick James. Right. And I know Bob, and I knew Scott. I worked with uh, his father, Scott. Right. And I went to the you know the recent uh, show that he did, did back in his hometown. There was only a hundred people there, and I did an interview with him. You'll notice there's a Randy Backman um, documentary out there now that they've shown, and I did the ninety minute interview with uh, with. Uh, Neil, for that, and we talked about those days. Um, I danced on CTV's show High Time with Ted Curl to the Minor Birds <laughs> with, with, with Neil Young. With Neil, Neil Young, they recorded for Motown. I bet you didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's they never records. only released one or two singles, and then Rick uh, Rick James had been living in Toronto. He's from Buffalo, and he he, uh, he was. Uh, uh, a, a dra uh, an army deserter. So they basically, Motown said, look, we want to sign you, so you're going to have to come back to uh, United States and go to, you know, well, he went to jail. He went to the stockade. There's a lot, there's a lot of trivia with Canada that people don't realize. Like, I'll give you two, okay? Real, real yeah, simple sure. ones people sure. don't know. Jimi Hendrix went to school, kindergarten, in Vancouver. I knew that. Ah, good for you. You read yeah. the Gold Mail article I did. Um, okay, I'm, I'm kind of kidding. Loretta, Loretta Lynn was, uh, uh, did her first recordings for a Canadian label called X Records out of Vancouver and uh, was produced by Don Grashy, who went on to discover Myrna Laurie and Carol Baker. Oh, my gosh. I know there's so, all kinds of little back and forth like that, you know. And but I mean, I had Toronto was like an open city. We had it was a rhythm and blues city up until uh, the weekend that the Jefferson Airplane and Grateful Dead played, uh, you know, O'Keefe Center. But up to that point, all the clubs were open. You walked into a club, you know. I, I'm here. I am at like a maybe eighteen, nineteen. Muddy Waters would call you over, young son, young son, come and sit with Muddy. You knew who the, you know, you, you were because they would come. See, the, back then, it was different. Um, they didn't play like just the one night. Um, acts came in for the week, you know, so they would come right. in Monday night. They have a bit of a crowd, too, a little more. And Tuesday, Wednesday, starting to roar. Thursday would be crazy. Friday and Saturday would go crazy. And you could play. Brian Adams once did a tour. He called it the Toronto Tour, where he played Toronto clubs for about, I think it was about three months, he played different clubs in Toronto. That were, the, you know, the Blackhawkers, the Knob Hill, all these right. different clubs like that. And you got to know the artists. You you were kind of embedded. It was kind of hard in one sense to write about them in one sense, because some of them were your friends. But on the other hand, you had to do what you had to do. I was writing uh, for trade papers, which is quite a bit different than writing for, I mean, I, you know, uh, for rock. I mean, I, I did work for Rolling Stone, Cream and Crawdaddy, but in 1970, I started writing for uh, Record World, which is a trade paper. And trade m music writing is quite a bit different because we're at that point, we're looking at copyright. We're looking at music publishing. We're looking at that. And I was doing the that. The industry. Yeah. Well, you and I have talked about that when you were doing when you were the minister. You and I talked about copyright changes and stuff like that. And since doing um, Celebrity Access, which is an international magazine, I do interviews with people behind the scenes. I don't do artists, uh, but I've become an expert on U.S. copyright law, world copyright law. 
you know, uh, decisions made, you know, by the EEC. I mean, now, now hold that, hold that thought because, okay. uh, uh, I want to now Jody, my uh, partner in this, uh, in this podcast actually runs uh, radio stations with a lot of, uh, oldies and, uh, classic rock content. So I want to give Jody a chance to, to ask a question or two at you. Okay. Go Jody. Well, I don't listen to our actual radio stations. I just run them. <laughs> but, um, no, I've, actually- I've done I, I, I've done uh, all these programming, by the way, including uh, you know for the uh, the internet and stuff like that. You know. Well, the problem is now, and Larry, you can appreciate this, is that uh, so I'm 44, and we have a station. One of our formats, we have 21 stations in Ontario, but one of our formats is called Oldies. Uh, unfortunately, Our Lady Peace. Uh, Pearl Jam that qualifies as oldies now on our station. So, well, it, uh, it changes. I, I I just recently did a, a profile of um, Cousin Brucey, who you know he's, he's still on. He's one of the top New York DJs of all time. He's he's still on, you know, internet radio in the, in the, down in the states. And I I programmed the uh, the oldie stations for Galaxy for ten years. Oh wow! But I do, and Larry, I want to tell you a funny story, and Tony as well, because this came up on my Facebook a couple weeks ago. A friend of mine, and I think this is something that maybe you can have some insight into, Larry, or at least share some stories like this. But this is a true story. A friend of mine on Facebook buys these storage containers, or when they're auctioned off, he he buys them or bids on them and gets them. Well, he got one that was out west, and they take the lock off. He pulls up the uh, the garage sliding door on the storage unit, and there's boxes and boxes of CDs that have never been, obviously had just been pressed or whatever, never been sold. And there's a Juno Award in there. The Juno Award was from, it must have been early 2000s, and maybe Larry would know this when I tell finish the story. It was for the best Canadian rap group or artist or whatever, and it was belonged to Swollen Members, and all the CDs were from Swollen Members, and he has their Juno Award, which is so bizarre. Oh, swollen Members were the Vancouver band. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with um, what was his name? Something Child. Um, yeah. yeah, Mad Child and uh, Mad Child. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, I interviewed them. They were lovely, lovely guys. <laughs> um, I'm not surprised because you know uh, that happens also. I know with uh, the Grammys and the states and stuff like that. Sometimes they move on and. Or, or maybe he didn't pay his debts or something. I mean, who, who, who you know, who knows? Um, I've got one of those Junos. I'm the only writer in Canada with a Juno. My wife has actually got um, the uh, the uh, comparison award from the Country Music Association. So we we've got what well, we kind of kid the the founders, Walt Grealis of RPM, and then Stan Cleese. I got a she got a Stan Cleese. I got a Walt Grealis. So and these the, the Junos. I went to the first Junos, and um, actually, they were still called the Gold Leaf Awards when I went in 1970, I think it was, and there was only like maybe 60 people there. And the second one, Anne Murray turned up in bare feet. I, I actually teased Anne because she took the subway to the to the, to the show. And I, 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 back then, we all knew each other. And I said, didn't we go to your place for Chinese food after that? She said, I think we did. And we went over, Anne was living up on uh, Eglinton Avenue around Bathurst in those days. I think we and there was a Chinese food. We went to her place for Chinese food after the Junos. Now I know that you had a bit of a set to with Anne uh, in in the past. Too. I, I hope I hope the bygones are. Bygones oh no no we 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 just served on a committee. I did a McLean's piece, 
Um, that she, uh, at, at the, see, Anthony, are you are you allowed to say what? what yeah, I'll say exactly what it was. You know, um, the the piece that from McLean's was like I think it was seventy two, seventy three. I never saw Anne as the girl next door. She never was. I mean, George Anthony and the whole slew of magazines had her as sort of a Pollyanna. Well, if you've been around Anne, she, she could swear like a trooper. Okay, I mean, no more than any. Other, you know, of our generation, I guess. And when I went to do the article, I wrote it. You know, I was and with her on the road for, two, you know, for two and a half weeks. But the part she objected, well, everybody objected to her. And her daughter, by the way, thinks this is the funniest thing that she's ever heard. I was trying to make a point of uh, the. Um, Artists have a form of sexuality about her. Now, Anne is magnetic. When you see her, you're just charisma, but you don't think of sex and Anne Murray together. It's sort of like your, you know, your 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 brother's girlfriend. You don't go there. You know, you you just don't. You know, and uh, I wrote. What, what uh, did you What did you say, Larry? Okay, the, what I wrote. You got to understand. I was 24 years old at this point, and this quote I'm about to give you has been printed in about four books. It was been printed in the New York Times, and um, I wrote at 24. If you spread eagled Anne Murray naked, certain parts of her would come up airbrushed. Wow. And yeah, well, there's the funny thing about it is years and years later, uh, they did a CTV, um, probably CBC uh, documentary on her. I got asked to do it by her management. And it was, <laughs> okay, I'm sure. You know, I thought I'd be in with a whole bunch of people. I'm in with Anne, her mother, her brother, and that's it. So I phoned her publicist, Marlene Palmer, and I said, Who put me up for this? She said, And it. I went, well, okay. Now, Anne's final album is an album called Duets. It's the last album of her career. She said, I will do one more album, and she did it with a whole bunch of different uh, people uh, doing it, like you know, Jan Arden and Olivia Newton-John and Shelby Lynn and people like that. I got asked by Anne to do it by her management. Would you write the liner notes, and would you also write the biography? So I do it, and I get a call back. And they said, well, Anne wants some changes here. Would you listen to her? I said, of course. You know, it's, she's paying for it. Uh, so she calls me. So we start going through it. And it's very minor that she's asked for it. And we know she was a gym teacher, but she was also an English teacher. So some things we're agreeing on and sometimes we're not agreeing. And then I just broke her up. I said, you know, Ever since the McLean's article, you've been waiting 25 years to edit me, Ham. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just desserts, my friend. Just well, desserts. we're still together. We're, we were recently on a Juno Hall of Fame committee for two years together, and I was just on with her. And interestingly enough, the photograph I took for the McLean's article, and when I describe it, you're going to know it in an instant. I took the photograph. I uh, got one of McLean's. It's, it's been named one of the top 100 photographs in McLean's history. And drinking a bottle of beer, a stubby bottle of beer, backstage. Perfect. And I'm sure you've seen it because it's, it's everywhere. And that, that's the legacy. No, we're best friends. And the funny thing about it is, um, uh, her her daughter Don and I are really, really, really close friends. Her daughter thought the article was was hilarious. And I, I oddly enough, I got an apology from her management a year after the article. They said we overreacted. But if you read it today, it's very tame. But back very then, tame. 
But back then, Charles Templeton and Pierre Burton debated. They used to have a radio show, like a five-minute radio show at noon. They debated me on Canadian radio, coast to coast. Larry LeBlanc, threat or menace? Well, there you are. You're 24 years. And the best thing I heard, Tony, of all the things I heard, some housewife rolled in uh, said basically, if this is what Anne-Marie is, then I really don't want to know about it. And I went, yeah, I can get that. Yeah. yeah, but she objected to words like you know, she was a chain smoker in those days. You know, she was a heavy smoker. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing you know. The, but I mean, you got to understand, I was everybody's first interview for years and years, particularly at Billboard. I mean, I I was literally Avril Lavigne's first interview in her career. Wow. Like literally, Brian Adams I've known since he was sixteen. So, you know, bare naked ladies are early on. As I said, Celine Dion, and at 13, she used to call me to practice her English. Huh. That's, wow. That's interesting. You know, that, ex- that explains it. Well, no, yeah, this explains, yeah. Well, no, and she's like, she's hysterically funny. Like, she called me one time, and I literally was at the cottage, and she goes, Larry, you know that, uh, you know, pardon the French accent here. I am French, so I can get away with it. Um, you know that, uh, Larry, uh, you know that uh, Renee and I, you know, we tried to make the ba- make a baby, eh? And I'm going, yeah, I can see it's, it's all in the, uh, the inquirer. <laughs> I can see that. She said, let me tell you, Larry, the auditions are going fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's hysterically, hysterically Hot. funny. On that note, Larry, we're going to have to call it a day for this interview, but we'd love to have you back. I know you're uh, you, you're a bottomless well of, of anecdotes about Canadian music, and you're you're a treasure uh, yourself. So thank you for being on. You know, Tony, it's a, it's a it's a fun ride, but take a look at what you know we've done within the last say twenty years. Okay, you know, the, mm-hmm. drink, the weekend, Atlantis Morissette, uh, Buble, Avril. Celine, Dallas Green, Patrick Watson. I mean, you know, we do, we can, Carly uh, Ray, Dallas Green, you know, uh, we keep throwing up a couple artists every year internationally. Oh, yeah, no, we're, we're, uh, we're punching above our weight. No question about it. Canadian music is, is uh, incredible. And the biggest throw I got was I was in Vietnam about uh, 10, 12 years ago. And over there, they had the box sets that I've helped put together. You know, I was an associate producer of the old one, a feeling the 72 tracks, the two of them. And they had them in the library, and they couldn't keep them in. In fact, the first one, you don't see it anywhere. You know, normally see things on resale. Yeah. It sold 250,000 uh, units. Randy Lennox and I, and, and, the, and the It's people a great were, compilation. I, I have them myself. There. I know. You, we raised $6.8 million for charities. Wow. wow. And that's but basically what was interesting was we put into into the the record 144 tracks that people in some cases did not know. And we heard this all the time. I didn't know they were Canadian. Oh, exactly. No, it's it's ama- it's an amazing compilation. Oh, what a feeling! If you have a chance to acquire that, you should because it's a, it's a, a real compendium of of Canadian pop music for sure. Is Larry, that- we got to go, but it's great having you. Okay, take care. All right, take we'll, care, Larry. We'll talk soon. Okay, Bye-bye. buddy. Take care. Oh, he hung up. Yeah, I think wow, he, he did. just he just bailed <laughs> like that. Wow, he was messing around.
No, he's very, uh, uh, very he's interesting to guys. Do. Tons of stories. The uh, oh, what a feeling set. Just refresh my memory because I feel like my parents had that. Was that the like four CDs and every CD had a maple leaf on it, a different color or something? I think so. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't have the CD. I just have the. Uh, I just have the MP3. But uh, it, it's. It, I mean, if you want a compendium of Canadian pop music from the 70s and 80s that that's the set you need to get it's yeah, got everything I, I remember it i'm pretty sure my parents parents had that so you probably have it on laser disc you have like the making of oh what a feeling or something <laughs> that's right I, i'm still using my laser disc when i'm not using my eight track i'm that's surprised right. <laughs> larry didn't have more uh, maestro fresh west stories i, I thought that's the, the road he was going to go oh down. he has stories if you would have asked him he would have had a story i'm telling you this guy uh, I know him. I know him in Muskoka. Uh, we uh, we kick around a little bit in Muskoka, and uh, he's like a never-ending story machine. So that's why I wanted him on the program. And you got a little bit of a taste of that. Yeah. You just wind him up, and he keeps going. Oh yeah, no, that was good. I think uh, I think people uh, are really going to enjoy that. Before we take off, because I uh, we're almost at the end of our time, Tony, I just got to share a little story just on coronavirus because i think it would we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it somehow but i uh posted something on facebook the other day there's this video going around called plandemic with some i'm not going to say full-on conspiracy but some questionable stuff that i think you know i think people would be naive to just dismiss it all uh, without considering it but it's uh getting keeps on getting yanked off youtube which i think feeds the the story more (laughs) so it's probably an interesting (laughs) thing but i posted it and i'm telling you i i I typically don't call people lefties, but the left side of the political spectrum, they were like, went rabid with it, like just off their rockers. And it's just, it's amazing how people react. You're stirring the pot. Oh yeah. Yeah, Well, I actually, but I, I I did put up a disclaimer. I wrote feeling feisty might delete later and then posted it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I'm sure the the conspiracy theories are just getting started. It's going to be a, a new industry, I'm sure. And since this, uh, you know, our show drops every Sunday, but uh, Premier Ford end of last week uh, opened up some more uh, sectors, curbside delivery. Well, we talked about it on our podcast, and yeah. uh, and then he did it. So, yeah, so it's it's uh, happening, and I expect, and I think you kind of uh, telegraphed this as well because you thought it was going to move faster than what people thought, and they were playing kind of using the right wording, uh, not coming yeah. out too quick with it. But I, I actually believe that by the end of the of may we'll see a lot more than what i think people expected i think once the long weekend is done then uh then we're into a different world for sure but uh i think larry is right the the uh the last place is going to be mass gatherings yes. that's uh, i really feel badly about we've talked about this with hebsey and others you know uh, about mass gathering uh, sports and uh, and live music it's uh, it's killing me and i i know he i know larry doesn't want to go to those i i still want to go to live music i'm going to go to live music and until i'm ready for the nursing home so uh, i really am anxious to well, see some uh, some improvement there and you know what's interesting though and i think we could have this conversation over and over again but this week a alone a friend of mine was is a doctor uh another good friend of mine is a registered nurse and is actually a professor at our local facility but both of them said the same thing they would never say what they told me publicly but they were indicating how they wish we went the sweden route kids should be back in school protect our most vulnerable a lot of fear going on and, and it's just it's interesting how if you want to with the information these days you can build any narrative that makes you feel good that's the reality of it yeah 
Um, That's right. And uh, let's let me pose this question to our listeners, too. Uh, Now that we've gone through this and, you know, uh, two months worth and maybe more, uh, if there's another pandemic threat, would you want to go through this again? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the economic cost. Yeah. And I I think I alluded to you off air before we came on that uh, the most common question. So whenever I post something on Facebook, I'm speaking about my own personal self now, whenever I post something that even hints at, you know, releasing restrictions or easing up or worrying about the economy, the number one point that people that are opposed to that say they, they make to me or ask me, Okay, two things. Name, write the names down of the people you're okay with dying, Jody. Or how many people are you okay with dying? Like that's, which is a totally emotional question. And you can't, you got to take emotions out of all this. But it is just the stupidest point that these individuals make. I feel bad for them because it's a lot of fear that's driving it. In my yeah, I know people are afraid and I get why they're afraid. It's yeah. a horrible, terrible disease yeah. if you get a virulent but, form of the diet. But nobody, I'm not denying that. But Tony, here's the thing. You, I think, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to assume that you would actually say, I think we need to slowly ease up restrictions so that the economy isn't destroyed. Does that mean that you, does that mean that automatically people should assume that you're saying, oh, everyone should die or I don't care about people dying? This is the point the about problem. politicians. Yeah. This is the problem for politicians because they know, yeah. they know that they own every single um, mortality uh, after they ease up, and this is why they're scared witless right now. So yeah. I've made that point before, but yeah. it's gonna it's gonna be something we'll talk about again because we're we ain't gonna be out of it next week. Either. No, no, so, no, no. It's go. gonna carry on. All right, don't forget to download right, and bye. subscribe on all the major platforms. Tony, we will talk to you in seven days. I can't wait. <laughs>